Welcome to episode 165F of No Challenges Remaining. That's the last one. F is for finally done. <laughs> I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined by Courtney Nguyen. Hi, Courtney. Hi, Ben. So the U.S. Open's over. We have two champions, Angelique Kerber and Stan Wawrinka. One of them is surprising. One of them is not. Thoughts on this U.S. Open before we go a little more granular into these last uh, two Ooh. rounds. It was surprising on both sides for different, completely opposite reasons. Surprising on the women's side because, for the most part, the draw held up. And obviously, people had Serena as the favorite. But to say that Angelique Kerber was not a co-favorite would have been, I think, a misreading of the Mm -hmm. tea leaves going into the tournament. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, the tournament rolls through. No major upsets in the first week other than Garbina going out. Uh it kind of, in a lot of ways, holds to form. Hottest player on tour, Karolina Pliskova, making the final. And then Anjali Kerber, who's been the dominant player throughout the, the year, really, um, in terms of match wins and things like that. So that is not what we always expect on the WTA side. You expect a little bit more calamity. Didn't really get that as much on not the women's all. side. No. The men's side, a very different story. I mean, we talked about it before, that the first week belongs to the women, the second week belongs to the men, because there aren't upsets in the first week. Obviously, you know, with the absences and the way that the draw shook out, uh, there were upsets and there were regular upsets. Um, at the end of the day, Stan lifts the trophy over over Novak, which I don't think anybody really saw coming. I think five thirty eight in their projections had Stan as a two percent favorite in the match to start the tournament. Really, yeah. over Novak? No, to start the tournament. Tournament. Oh, two percent chance of winning the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. To start the tournament. Yeah, yeah. Uh, In other words, two percent means you're not winning. Right. Like because, and there was no reason to think that he he was saying that. He, I mean, he, Magnus Norman both said today, like they didn't come here thinking this was really their their tournament. Yeah. Yeah. And and when I think I said in the last show when he was losing to Dan Evans, it didn't seem completely ridiculous. Dan Evans had played well in the challengers and Stan had been shaky, pulled out of the Olympics, you know, hadn't had a great Wimbledon. I don't even remember what he did at Wimbledon. Which maybe speaks to my ignorance, but also that it wasn't very relevant. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then he hadn't done great at the... Well, he lost to Murray decisively at the French and just had been a little bit off radar. And it had been Murray's summer. Yeah. And Vavrinka was not Murray. And so he wasn't the favorite. And yet, here he is. And once... Once it got to him versus Djokovic in the final. Yes, that's a different... By that point, yeah. I think, I, I, you know, Twitter polls and things I saw had Vavrinka being the favorite. And Vavrinka, that lightning in a bottle thing he can summon deep in slams is less and less fluky the more you see it. Yeah, and true. And it's just, it's just a testament to how he can... Um, how he just is sort of like a diesel player, you know, he, who he takes a while to heat up and he might be... Might stall out early on, but once he gets to full speed and into a final, I mean, he is three and zero in Slam finals, all all three times beating the world number one. And that's really good. I mean, he's like almost an extreme version of Serena in a very specific instance. I mean, the book on Serena at Slams is that she's vulnerable in the first week, but when she gets builds up seam and gets deep, and obviously we've seen a little bit less of this this year, but that once she gets into the semis, quarters, you know, finals, that she's money. And, uh, I mean, Stan, you, it's it's really hard to argue his, yeah, kind of like head of full steam kind of way that he goes about major tournaments. But, yeah, did not see, did not see that coming whatsoever. 
Uh, let's start, I guess, with more in depth with Kerber. Kerber is the WTA number one, sort of with a bullet. Is there, are there bullets involved? Should we use less violent metaphors for women's tennis? I don't know. <laughs> not according to Tamea Baczynski. What did she say? Oh, did you not hear this? No. Oh, Tamea had this uh, really, really interesting, very long monologue. Uh, in as one Tamea of, does. As Tamea do. Uh, in the early part of the first week about the Olympic spirit, et cetera, et cetera, about her experience at the Olympics. But one of the things that she kind of said was like, you know, we talk about tennis players like, oh, what are your weapons? Like, da, da, da. come on, guys. This isn't war. There's no weapons. And I was like, well, oh, to me, I just want to put like a wreath of flowers on your head, you know, spin you around, uh, let you listen to the mamas and the papas. <laughs> and I just want you to live in a VW, you know, bus and just live your life. Like, you're right. There aren't. And yet, here we are. <laughs> but no, I mean, I, you know. I don't know. I don't Sorry. know. The I question. Derailed. The question was. <laughs> Courtney mouthed me. What was the question? We're recording this at one forty-five a.m. on a Monday. Weeks, um, slam season's over, and we're happy for that. Uh, okay, let me rephrase. Kerber <laughs> rephrases if you even remember your original question. Just phrase Ker- the question. Kerber, really good. four beers and that's what you come up with i had i got nothing i got nothing okay so how about this is angelique kerber okay finish the sentence angelique kerber is a satisfying u.s open champion and world number one because no one has won more matches than angelique kerber in 2016 no one when you talk about the hard courts has won more hard court matches than angelique kerber no one has won more matches against top 10 players than angelique kerber angelique kerber beat serena williams in a slam which every a slam, final. a slam final, which many people consider to be this unofficial metric of deservedness of that you have to beat Serena on your yeah. way to the top. Yeah. And, and if you don't, if you avoid that, that there's some sort of asterisk to to your rise. And, and we saw we've seen this with with past players. I mean, the one that comes to mind immediately is is either Denara Safina or Caroline Wozniacki. Like yeah. you got to you got to win, you know, if you're going to occupy that top spot. At the end of the day, how can you really argue with with Angelique Kerber, world number one, two major titles, uh, which is more than anyone else. 1997 was the last time somebody swept the two hardcourt majors. Which was my, like, revelation stat of the tournament for me, though, a shocking thing, was Serena, who is probably arguably the best hardcourt player ever on the Mm -hmm. women's side, um, has never made the Australia and U.S. finals in the same year, in the same calendar year. Just finals. Just finals. That's amazing. Which, which she's made, I believe, um, seven finals in, or seven in Australia and eight in the U.S., something like that, and they've never been in the same year. That's amazing. Which is incredible. That's just ridiculous. So it's like basically, it's, it's, it's like it's like 15 years of making one final, three of making zero, yeah. zero of making yeah, I mean, Two. yeah, I mean, and, and so then getting back to Kerber, I mean, what, you know, it's kind of one of those things, it's like, what more do you want from her? Yeah. You know, to take over the number one ranking, obviously, Serena, you know, a lot of that is due to the fact that Serena didn't play the fall last year, so she didn't have any points coming into there, and then has played a very limited schedule with seven, seven events, uh, if you don't count the Olympics, obviously no points given there, so seven events, right, I think, throughout the, yeah, exactly. throughout the season, the fact that she held on to it the number one ranking for so long this season, given what was everything going around is pretty impressive. But 
look, I, I'll be honest, I'm incredibly happy for Anjali Kerber. I think that it's an incredible testament to hard work, which are the two words that surround Kerber when you talk to other players about her. Hard work, work ethic, just, uh, you know, I wrote it in my weird little 30-second uh, take on the final of just um, the self-made champion. Yeah, and I think that both she and Ravrinka to bridge them together, yeah. both can be seen as players who were both late bloomers in their careers who just sort of nosed the grindstone, worked very hard at, at getting their games up there and had the belief to think that they got openings, sure, in terms of not always playing the very best at their very best, but they earned those openings and got themselves in a position that when they had the chances, they, they took them. them. And let's, we can talk about the women's final. Uh, Kerber against Pliskova, I thought really good match. Uh, I think, I don't know which final is better. I think probably it's the better final it's the women's final. I think quality, like wire to wire, yeah. the U.S. Open final is better than the Australian Open final. Uh, I mean, wire to wire, the Wimbledon final was also very good. Yeah, that's probably my favorite women's but final. But it was straight sides, you know, yeah. but, but it was probably... Kerber couldn't have played better. Serena couldn't have played better. It was what it was, yeah. you know. So, but yeah, yeah. But I guess I mean I was just comparing men's and women's that you. Oh, open sorry. This year. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I yeah, but this final for both of them was really good. I mean, Kerber got that very. Plus, he dropped serve pretty nervously the very first game, but after that, settled down and. Showed like she belonged there. I mean, it looked like Pliskova was going to win this tournament. Up a break in the Up third. Up a break, three one in the third, and just seemed it didn't seem fluky. I mean, like what she's produced is. I mean, her talent level is just incredible. And add the talent with the pure ball striking to her natural height, which helps her serve a lot, obviously. Yeah. I mean, she's a player who, who really, I think, should be in the mix with the sort of Muguruzas, with the um, whoever else you want to, I guess, I'll just put, say Muguruza, in terms of, like, next-gen players to watch. I mean, I think she absolutely announced herself as a major person at this tournament, sure. making US Open final, beating Serena en route to big big uh, accomplishment and venus and venus right and uh kanya and less so kanya <laughs> and, and and yeah and i think i think she's she's not as big a winner as as Kerber, but she's absolutely maybe runner up which oh is for sure i mean what she is you look i mean there have been so many times where carolina pleshkova has been you know a punchline of like the only top 20 player to not make uh the fourth round of a slam um you know, got nipped in the bud by Kerber in a bunch of finals last year in 2015 in her breakout season, you know, never really was able to come through. And I think, you know, she, I think I've said this before, going into Cincinnati, she had never beaten a top five player on tour. She beat Halep at Fed Cup, but mm -hmm. on tour she had never, like, oh, and some, I can't remember what the, the, the number is, but had never done that. In the course of Cincinnati and the U.S. Open, she beats the world number one, Serena Williams. She beats, at the time, world number two, Angelique Kerber. She beats world number three and reigning French Open champion, Garbina Muguruza. She beats Venus Williams. She beats Svetlana Kuznetsova. She beats a very good Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova. I mean, this over the course of, like, the time span, especially because, you know, like, it's one thing to pull off a two-week run within two weeks. You know what I mean? Like, you can get hot and, and, and fire up. She pulled off a two, a, you know, a three-week run. If you continue, Cincinnati, winning that and then going to the U.S. Open, you have that lull. Maybe you don't play as well as maybe you did in Cincinnati. Right. And she backs it up over the course of that time. I think that that is pretty impressive. Too. I mean, she certainly did better than Marin Cilic, the, the men's yeah. champ, who went out to sock pretty early and pretty flatly. Um, yeah, and, and a lot of the players who had played more matches in the summer. Granted, she didn't play Olympics, but a lot right. of them. 
tired of the U.S. Open, and she and she wasn't. She just kept building on it, and it'll be cool to see what she does in Asia. Those should be good tournaments for her. Yeah, conditions in Asia should be very Wuhan should be a great tournament for her. Yeah, we'll we'll Fast. see we'll see what she can make on Kerber to wrap her up. Do you expect Kerber to hang on to number one for the rest of the year? It's so she's got a big lead now. She has a big lead. So much of it depends on it what Serena all does. All depends on Serena. It, 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 and her if she plays, and and we just don't know. I mean, Ben, you were, I think you were the one that asked her point blank, like, "What yeah. is your schedule plans, in the yeah. fall?" And she was like, and she kind of exasperatedly kind of said, "Like, I don't know." And fair enough. But there are a lot of points on offer between Wuhan, Beijing, and Singapore, which is like a huge chunk of points. You know, obviously Beijing is a mandatory. We've seen how things go she didn't before. Play Madrid either, which is a mandatory. Um, so, so we'll see. But, it, but you know, it, it's one of those situations where I understand people being frustrated that that you know Serena didn't get the record or that she's not the number one player when we are also in a situation where we are discussing her as the greatest athlete of all time, and we know that at her best she is the best. Mm-hmm. I think that we all still agree with that. Those days have come a little bit fewer. Uh, and far between in terms of, of her playing her best at the biggest moments. Mm-hmm. But um, she put herself in that situation by by shutting down her season last year. She wouldn't have been under threat, you know, if you would have just played and, and grabbed some points in the in Asia last year. I'm not sure Kerber has a shot at number one here, if that's the case, or playing a very minimal schedule. Yeah. That no, Ranking I, points are not rank, just rank, given ranking, out. Ranking you know? Serena only has herself to blame for that. I mean, I think I'm, the interesting question with Serena also is that she has now, which is a pretty stunning thing to me, she's made the semis, or better, at the last five slams mm-hmm. and only won one of them. That's just a very un-Serena like conversion rate. yeah no i didn't even think about it that way but you're right yeah. yeah and so and so for her to be getting deep in slams and not finishing the job it's just not what we've come to know her for i think before that someone could do the math for us pretty easily here but like her number her conversion rate was like definitely like around 75 80 percent in terms of getting to semis and then leaving with the big trophy and she and, hasn't yeah, been doing it and, here and i will say this about serena like i i feel about her the same way that i feel about you know a novak and obviously novak is it's much younger even how i feel about a rafa Maybe less so with Roger due to his injury concerns, but particularly with the Novak comparison, yes, is it been it's been a great year for Novak insofar as he completed, you know, he got his French Open title and the Novak know, slam. He yeah, got the, he got yeah. the Serena slam. Um, but uh, but yeah, you know, and, and then the up and downs after the French. But you know, any sense that there's a demise is ridiculous because we know how good Novak can be. And it just has to, the stars just have to align a little bit more. I feel the same way about Serena. Like I, is it tougher? Sure. Because I do think that the gap between Serena and the rest of the field is shrinking. Mm -hmm. I do think that she on some level acknowledges that as well, that, you know, in the past, especially her like 2014, half of 2015, part of 2013, like her B level was enough to win majors yeah i'm not sure that that's the case anymore i think that's right and i think also i will push a little bit back on the novak serena comparison because serena is six years older than Novak. no i know i mean there's an age difference but in terms of conceptually this idea of like they didn't get the success that one would expect and therefore should we panic i say no i think i think there's more i'm not saying panic and i think again if serena doesn't win any more slams she still had an unbelievable career and there's no you know no shame in in ending at 22 which is an absurd absurd number when you think about how we're all freaking out about Sandra getting three Um, (laughs) 
but I mean tying Andy Murray, right? <laughs> <laughs> but but I mean Serena is gonna it's gonna be tougher. It's gonna be more of an uphill climb the older she gets, and yeah, it's it's just not gonna get any easier. And her body's having you know she's had the knee issues for flaring up again. That's been a problem for her consistently for a couple and, years and- now. And that won't get better. Yeah, and, and it's what we've discussed, like, you know, in the past when we've talked about draws at majors, that when it bec- when it breaks down to Serena versus the field, do you pick the field or Serena? And it is this idea of kind of a tag team effort. Like, Simona may not have landed the crushing blow, but and I know that Serena said that she wasn't fatigued, but having to play that tight of a match the night before and then turn around and have to play, like, a big-hitting Pleshkova going from, like, a, a kind of a counter-punching Simona to playing somebody who can hit you off the 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 court and not having an extra day to kind of prep for that those things matter and and uh, you know the yeah the gap the gap is shrinking and and that's natural and it's not a knock on her it's you know it's like not that John is the only one that says it but John Wertham I always hear it from him it's just like father time is undefeated yeah you know Things rack up, and, and, and in the meantime, these the, the days and the hours are passing, and you create these openings for the Kerbers, the Halleps, the Muguruthas, if she can get marginally consistent, um, you know, and, and then, you know, everybody else kind of has a shot. So if everybody kind of takes their shot over the course of seven matches, it becomes tough. Yeah, definitely. Uh, on the men, more. Uh, Stan Wawrinka wins his third slam, as you mentioned, tied with... Andy Murray, although unlike Andy Murray, Stan is now only one slam away from the career slam, which making a face in defense of Murray, but, you know. I'm not, not in defense, in like, ugh, it's true. I'm not defending Murray. You're right. Yeah. Like, it's, in, Mur- in Murray, in Murray exasperation, or what, describe the noise no, and face you just, just made. just, it's just so weird. It's just, you know. Yeah, it, it's just weird. Not weird, but. It's not. It's out of nowhere. I mean, I I tweeted something along these lines. Like, if someone had said in like 2012 that um, a Swiss man would win, you know, three slams before right. the end of 2016, everyone would have thought that Roger hit 20. Like, there was no reason to think that Sander Rinka was going to be a player in the mix, and he just has sort of come out, you know, once a year these last three years out of nowhere to suddenly stamp like stomp, stomp through a slam, yeah. yeah, and and it's come with very fairly little warning. I mean, I guess, yeah, I guess there was a little bit more leading up to it at the... The French. No, at Australia, I was going to say, because he'd had... He made the semis of the U.S. Open the year before, and he had pushed Novak to five, and he had a little bit of a push. At the French, there wasn't... No, there wasn't much in that tournament either. I mean, he he beat... When he beat... When he beat Roger, Roger. it was... He killed him, but it was still a bit surprising. And I think it was like the sixth seed of that tournament or something, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, uh, here it was... Once you got to the end, again, but just big picture... Stan Wawrinka, like Kerber, they both became like Hall of Fame locks in this tournament. Yeah, and it's just like okay, it, it it's it's just it just wasn't in the cards. And he's a prodigious talent with an amazing game that's yep. sort of you know power based and has some of the best pure power in the sport. But wow, I just I don't know. Not that anything, not that sports should feel preordained, but this just doesn't feel preordained. It feels like okay. This was something I guess could happen. I'm just trying to remember. I'm trying to remember pre 2013 Wawrinka, like what we thought of him. We never thought of him he as was being a journeyman. like, yeah, well, like a just, very just, good just journeyman, like, just like Roger's like, kid brother. Yeah, that's like pretty no, much how we looked no, at no. it. Before, yeah, yeah I mean, t- a year before he wins the Australian Open, Stan Wawrinka is a draw filler. He's there. 
He's dangerous at smaller tournaments, at the slams, not much. You don't think much of him. You don't, you know, he's pretty anonymous. I remember debating leaving early the night before, the night of him playing Djokovic in the fourth round of the Australian Open. They're their first, mm. I think epic, it was 12 yeah. 10 in the fifth, I want to say. They're just their first five set epic, which sort of announced their rank as a slam player. And just before that, there was no reason to think that this would be a guy we can be dangerous to someone as good as Djokovic. No. There was no reason to think that. Look, he was he was known for other things. He wasn't known for being a challenger, for being a, a guy who owned his his talent and uh, really, you know, make good of it. Now, that being said, I will go back to, like, you know, what I wrote about Kerber after she won the Australian Open. Everyone in their own time. And it's not on our time scale. And it's not on our what we think that you should do when you should do it, you know? And, yeah. and I think that with Stan, yeah, it, it took a moment for him. And not, and not unlike, Ker- again, Kerber, going back to it. And they're good where parallels. You, yeah, yeah, where you embrace your ambition. You know, sometimes there's, like, little signs where you're like, maybe I could be good. And then there comes a point where you're like, I think I am good. And then there's a point where you're like, I think I might be able to be better. You know, and, and, you know, both of them, yeah, there are parallels. Workhorses, incredibly strong. No surprise that, like, both of them have won, you know, their two of their, well, I mean, slammed for Stan, two of his three, for Kerber, both of hers, on hard courts in the two tournaments that offered the most difficult conditions. Yeah. Uh, that physicality matters in. Uh that they they sweep those, you know, and and so there there are parallels in terms of the work ethic and the late bloomery ness of things. And the odd parallel between them, which I'm not sure I have an explanation for, is that both of them have very little success compar- comparatively at the next level down, which is the Masters event. Stan only has one. Mm, yeah. At the old and what, they, what they call the tier one, which yeah. is like now premier mandatory plus premier five. Kerber's never won any of those finals. That she's been in, which is remarkable, and I mean, it's, they've both been big stage players, or just someone that sort of intensified circumstances for the men. It's I guess best of five is part of it, uh, but for the for the women, it's not obviously. And just that raised stakes, their games hold up. When you know when people see what you're made of, they're made of pretty good stuff. Well, yeah, and I, and I think that again, when you start to draw the parallels between both of them. Obviously, Stan has done it over a more prolonged period of time, winning three slams in, what, four years? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Kerber, obviously, two slams in nine months. Very, very different. So, you know, there's questions as to whether or not, you know, that can continue. But they just, it took them a while to believe that they could stand toe-to-toe. And I think both of them had this kind of cloud over them like i mean for a long time angie wasn't even number one german even when pekovic was number two german you thought pekovic was number one german yeah you know lisicki's the one that made the final i mean there's, there's there's so many reasons why it was never supposed to be anjali kerber and yet there she is and, and the same with with stan right he's supposed to be in the shadow of roger he was never supposed to be he was roger's hitting partner effectively in yeah. a lot of ways we thought of him and then there comes a point where Something clicks, and and you finally put into the you put the work into it, and then it pays off. And I and I think that that's pretty, you know, for different reasons, um, a common thread between both of their careers. You know, I mean, like Stan. I mean, I will say this: he came into the U.S. Open fitter than I've seen him in a while. Mm. Um, 
played what, like 20 hours of tennis? 18 and a half hours a lot going more into than the Novak. final. Yeah. yeah. It was 18 and a half to like something like nine or something like like less than yeah. 10 hours for Novak. I mean, I mean, just chapeau. Chapeau, indeed, to use some nice Swiss French words in honor of Stan Wawrinka. I mentioned best of five briefly, <laughs> which had been brought, I feel like came up a lot at this slam. I, and I always, I'm a broken record on it, I realize, but I feel like it wasn't always me, this slam. I feel like more people are taking up the chorus, which makes me happy. Courtney, I know you're one of the more recently firmly yeah. best of three advocates. Ex- explain why, I guess, you feel this way. Well, it was interesting because I was sitting next to Nick McCarville of USA Today um, throughout most of the tournament. And he turned to me and said, today, he was like, I feel like this is the tournament where it, it clicked for me that best of five is ridiculous. You know, and, and in this situation, obviously, the final, the men's final was freaking weird, okay? I don't understand Novak cramping and having blisters, having played as little as he did throughout the two weeks. That, that just doesn't make sense to me. I'm not Major saying Major toe issues on both feet. Yeah, I'm not saying that weird. it's illegitimate. Like, yeah. it, he was freaking bleeding through his socks. So I get that he had blisters, and it definitely looked like something was going on with his legs in terms of cramping or pulling a muscle or whatever. So it's not that, I just... You know, for somebody who's so resilient, who has been the tennis Ironman, it was just weird. Like, it was hard to process. So, midway through the third set, you're not even, worst case scenario, past half of the match, right? Like, if it goes full five, you're not even there yet. I mean, this was, like, early in the third set. And you've been there for over two and a half hours. Yes. They looked gassed, Novak in particular. They were making a crap ton of errors. I think combined, I don't know what the final numbers were, but the last time I checked, there was definitely over 90 unforced errors between the two. The latter stages of that third set were not great. But that being said, the big for-all game that they had, the duels towards the end, like, I literally was sitting there being like, imagine if this was best of three. Like, the stakes would be so much higher, and, and, the, and the emotions would be heightened. You know, and for me personally, and especially, and this is a, an opinion, I will say this because Ben's right. I used to be like a purist. I was like, best of five forever. I will say this, that over the course of things, as I am now kind of like part of the machine because I work for the tour, um, WTA tour, but also because in that capacity, having spoken to TV people, uh, news outlets, like people who are more likely to be more candid to me yeah. than they would be before. It's tough to sell tennis to a network because you don't know what product you're getting and you have a certain small window and you have to be able to sell that. And if if a broadcaster is like, well, it could go six hours or it could go under two, two, right? That's a problem. And there needs to be some sort of like effort to recognize that tennis has to evolve because – in my opinion, personally, like right now, it's a big opportunity for tennis to evolve or stay stagnant. And to me, all I mean, people who follow me on Twitter know this, like I'm a rules person. I think rules should be enforced strictly. I think the best of three is the better vehicle for this sport to the masses. I think that we are look we are on the cusp of looking at a tennis landscape that needs to recognize that we need to make this 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 product more packageable yeah um that needs to sell because i'm not convinced all the time that the money will always be there that we have been living in a very golden era of 
stars and on both sides of the aisle that that have driven things that if you don't recognize that things have to change now like what do you want you want your your pure sport that fails on a broader you on a broader to, scale you don't want to keep specify for self-indulgent reasons right for, for for saying oh it's just it's the ultimate test or things like no one needs the ultimate test i'm sorry to take you can take a shorter test that adequately it's quantitative and you know shows what you know and, i just kind of don't get i mean it's I, just not an yeah. invalid way they play it all year long it's not an invalid way and the, and the thing that sticks out to me is i was saying i'm always we're always on the last shuttles me and corny constantly which <laughs> we, we're just so bad always. at self-preservation for these today things. was the first time i wasn't on last shuttle and it's the only reason why is because there were no women's matches <laughs> but, today, still there pretty late. but i was still there really late so, but, but, but when I was there late, even for like the great match, which was my like marquee quarterfinal, which was Delpo Vavrinka, mm. by the end, by like the fourth set, it was like 15% full in ash because it was like after midnight and people wanted to go home. People have lives. You can't expect people to shut down their entire lives to sit there for five hours to watch guys, or it wasn't even five hours. It was like maybe three and a half to watch guys play tennis. It's just not a marketable format. And here's something I'm going to say which I don't say very often, soccer has this right. <laughs> soccer is 90 minutes, and it's the world's most popular sport. And it fits in TV easily. It doesn't disrupt your whole day. It, maybe If it goes into extra time in certain tournaments, fine. But generally, it's a very packageable thing, and it's no one feels cheated by soccer. And no one's like, well, I want them to play 130 minutes. That's the real test of manhood. I mean, like, but no. Like, no, one says, <laughs> no one says this like for NBA games. Like, why aren't they two hours? Instead of being I 48 lo- minutes. I love watching Steph Curry shoot threes so much that I would like to see him do it for double the time that he is currently Until he required. collapses. Yeah. That Who would ran be the- amazing. But did he run the sand dunes in the offseason to make him the ultimate champion? Like, I don't care. Like, just let them play tennis in a reasonable time. Like, like the women's final. And I, this is one of the things that disappointed me about the best of three arguments for saying ultimate tests. It's like, are these people saying this? Have they never been able to appreciate women's matches? Like, in their lives? Because that makes me sad. If you were watching Kerber Pliskova, which was a great match, went three, had twists in the third, you know, Kerber Pliskova up a break, 3-1, and you were like, hmm, yeah, but if only they were out there for, like, longer, then I could really get my teeth into this. No, just, like, it's a great product as is. And you'll see the urgency. The Olympics is the is the best example. Thank goodness for the Olympics. London especially, Agreed. I think, were better. And I like the... Uh, best of three with no tiebreak in the third personally i know there's debates on that i would I, rather it go but. right but so yeah so i i'm not against it's, i call it like nhl overtime format basically right. um but yeah and i'm also and i'm also not saying we're talking about this grand slam final i'd be happy to have it like a compromise like ease in by start having just sure. the first three rounds or four rounds go best of three and then work your way into best of five and we'll see how that works i think fans would love it you would love it and i just i i just think that yeah, I mean, for me, like I worry about the health of the sport. Yeah, that's that's all that it is, and you know, uh, other sports have had to change, particularly niche sports, where, I mean, whatever it is, you have to make adjustments for the market. Like the NBA, the whole introduction of the TV timeout, where all of a sudden a referee can get like a thing in his ear, being like, "Yeah, no, take a timeout," and the referee just calls a timeout because they need to run ads. If that's what NBA needs... NBA's blowing up now, by the way. They're blowing up. You know, like, the NFL, for the most part, league games, regular season, anything up to the Super Bowl, we know that it's about a a three-hour, three-and-a-half-hour commitment. Good. Done. Baseball. Generally speaking, you know what the commitment is, unless it goes into ridiculous extra innings. 
tennis, you don't know what the time commitment is. And this idea that, well, if you're, but if you're a tennis fan, like you just Draw sit more. and you, it's like, no, that is such an incredibly privileged idea to think that like people just have freaking loads of time to just sit and, and, and watch a, 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 a five hour session of tennis. Yeah. That's absurd. Um, if you buy a ticket and you go, I get that because you, you, but you're right. Towards the end of these sessions, people are leaving. Now, is that not a U.S. thing? Possibly. Uh... It's not like the, you know, like stands were probably fuller at the end of a, a labor match I'm in Australia. Think, yeah, I'm not sure. Wimbledon, people obviously stick around, although it doesn't go late because. Right, doesn't, yeah, right. it doesn't go that French, late. obviously, no lights, so whatever. Yeah. So it's a unique situation in the States, but it's comparable to, to Australia. And for those who say, like, screw you, America, like, it's not always about you, we are a very big market. And if you can't recognize that a lot of the money that goes into tennis comes from American broadcasters, comes from American, like, investors in the sport, you're undermining your own sport. And 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 I'll I'll just say, I I know players, um, doubles players especially, are the ones who, like, have less skin in the game, Mm -hmm. who are male doubles players, will say, yeah, best of five is stupid. And it like it just I was I I was talking to one of them, the doubles player I'm friendly with at Cincinnati during the Djokovic sorry during the Del Potro Murray Olympic final, mm. and he was like yeah like I went and watched the first set of that match, and then went and like practiced and I came back it was still the second set, I watched a little bit of that then I went and got lunch came back still third set, <laughs> and I just like and I was just like I just don't need this match to be this long imagine if I had felt captive sitting there the entire time watching this match which took over four hours i think for four sets like that's just and there were no other olympic finals in all the other sports except with the exception of things no one watches like you know race walking or you know i think even triathlon is much shorter than that Uh, marathon is shorter at two hours yeah uh what are we doing what are we doing it's you if if you want to make a great product as a writer i know the key to that is editing that's true met the good stuff earlier hot take yeah yeah i mean I think that this idea, because I see this in cricket. I'm going to bring up cricket. Oh my you gosh. brought up football. I'm going to bring up cricket. I brought up soccer for the record. Sorry. <laughs> football. Apologies. But in cricket, one of the most difficult things for, I think, the masses to engage in with that sport is this idea of, like, they go on forever. Like, these matches can just go, right? Unless you're playing, like, what is it, 20? T20. Yeah, yeah. T20 cricket. But otherwise, a proper – the fact that we know this, by the way, is so about tennis because we – anyways. So, yeah, unless you're playing T20, like test cricket, right? I think it's called test cricket. I think test is the long one. Is test the long one? Okay. I'm not sure. So, whatever. <laughs> we tried. But unless you're playing the T20, like, abbreviated version of cricket, these ma- these matches go on for a very long time. And they can. And they can be held over to the next day. That, to me – is the epitome of a leisure sport. Like, you are a rich person sport. You are not built for the working class. You are not built for the middle class. You are built for people who have nothing to do but sit outside all day and enjoy watching whatever it is. It does not serve tennis to me to be that. It would break my heart if tennis was perceived as that. You know, like, I don't want that to be the perception of this sport. Like... You know, people and who just isn't have... that. I mean, like, I don't as, think it as, is. as much as people, and I think, by the right, as much as people talk about, you know, tennis, you know, and they talk about this in the context of William Sisters breaking in, which is fair, but like it's being a white country club sport. Mm-hmm. 
now look around like the American ranks of the players. It's a very diverse group for the most part. It's a socially economically diverse group. There obviously are rich white people sure. who come in, but there's still people from all other sorts of you know races and socioeconomic classes who are able to break into the sport. And the fans at the U.S. Open or Washington or Cincinnati, there's a, a spread of, of, of people too. So yeah, let's let's make this a sport that doesn't have to be. I have the luxury of sitting around for five hours to watch these two men play for my amusement. Like, no. It's weirdly, it's weirdly like Rome gladiator. Like I don't need to see to them the bleed. death. You don't need. Are you not entertained? No, I'm not entertained. This I is not fun. I don't enjoy seeing people, you know, break and just like I don't want matches, you know, decided because somebody's calf gives out. That's not fun for me. Or his toe falls off his foot. I want That's... you to keep your toes. I am so pro toe. You don't even know. <laughs> and with that, any other thought? Uh, I guess thoughts on U.S. Open as a whole, or the. Uh, tournament or even grand slam season as a whole to wrap this sort of thing up grand slam season bit of a bit of a crazy one it was an odd one i mean it it goes in line with 2016 as a season we've been throwing a lot of curveballs you know a lot of absences a lot of absences. i was thinking we were talking earlier at dinner just about the people sharapova obviously azarenka nadal federer all missed big chunks of the slams and that hurts tennis it There's does. no doubt. I mean, Kerber, uh, as Renka, we should really not underrate in how much her disappearance, uh, for obviously disappearance is wrong. We're not like she was stuffed in a trunk somewhere. <laughs> she's expecting a baby and it's wonderful. Um, she is, um, she was number one in the race after Miami. She was a very relevant player on the tour this year and injuries and pregnancy changed her path for this year. And so that the sport is missing something without her here. Sharapova, obviously, has always been a contender. Her being taken out for her own case reasons also affects the sport, too. Uh, Nadal pulling out of the French Open, where he looked like he was gaining some momentum at Rome. Um, I don't think he was going to win the French Open. He might have. I don't think he was going to. Um, But still, it was still a, a blow to tennis to have him knocked out there. And Federer playing only two slams this year, making semis of both. So it's not like he can't play anymore. Right, right, yeah. But making playing two slams, making semis of both, and not playing the other two. Yeah, it's uh, it was a weird one. Weird one for tennis. Not not ideal. I just I just flash back to January. Eve of the Australian Open starting. It was Saturday or Sunday. I remember sitting at my desk in the press center and I was talking to Carol Bouchard, uh, Petra Philipson. I think that you ch- you strolled by at some point. I don't think Reem was there yet, but I remember sitting there because I was leaning back in my chair, like having this conversation and looking at the, looking at them. And I'm like, something just doesn't feel right. I, I just feel like something's going to go really bad. That something, And I was thinking more like results based, like some big upset was going to happen, whatever. And then literally like 48 hours later, it was like match fixing. I was like, well, like, I, well that's not what <laughs> I saw. that hijacked but, the first like week and it, of that That hijacked it. And so the Australian Open was weird. And then it like finishes with obviously Novak doing what he does. Kerber stunning Serena. Great story with Zheng Shui. Kanta. I mean, th- th- those are great stories. Then you hop to the French Open, which Ben and I were talking about today. French Open was just my low point for the entire slam season. It just was miserable. <laughs> that tournament it never stopped raining. It, it was, was horrible. And as much as you know, people are happy that you can play through 
sort of playthrough reign on clay it just made every match unpleasant and just not it wasn't nice being in tennis as much as you don't want to be a leisure sport it should at least be nice being in a tennis match it's not like you know green bay packers games or right something. exactly and yeah and so it was not that and that stunk and then Wimbledon had its own rain issues and was okay. I mean, Wimbledon, Wimbledon was fine. Wimbledon's second week Wimbledon was definitely totally good. Your boy. Marcus One Willis. of your highlights. Marcus Willis was my named highlight. I think Zhang Shui and Marcus Willis were almost similar. I mean, that's probably discredited. Zhang Shui was much more professional, <laughs> probably, than Marcus Willis. But they're both good stories. Um, yeah, and then US Open was pretty solid. US Open would probably be my favorite of the four slams. Yeah, no, I, I would agree I with that. I think so, and how they went this year. Yeah, yeah I mean... Even if the champions all, were a little random. All difficulties with new york and myself withstanding uh yeah i mean it was it was nice to just kind of have a seemingly even though yeah unexpected champions at the end pretty straightforward results wise major and things that made sense that was the thing the only result of this us open that didn't make sense to me was nisha Corey beating murray that's the one that i just was pre-nadal i see nadal just has been flaming out of slams early consistently but he made the quarters of wimbledon I don't know. I don't know either. Okay. We don't know much. Let's stop. We've tried. We try. uh, thank try you. my best. Thank you guys very much for listening to this episode of No Challenge Remaining and to us through the U.S. Open. If you want to follow along when you're not listening, you can do so. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at NCR underscore tennis. We are individually on Twitter as well. Courtney is at For You Twits, and she's also on at WTA underscore insider. I'm at Ben Rothenberg. Send us questions, comments. Um, send us, we should hopefully be having a lot of postcards go out to everybody by the end of September. So if you don't get your postcards, say by first week of October, then let us know and we will do stuff. But hopefully everything for all four slams getting to you September is the goal, city goal. So we'll see. We have all of our postcards in New York, which we talked about before on the show. We've got our New York postcards. It was wonderfully lovely. Uh, yeah, so that's that. Inclu- and mentioning our Kickstarter backers, we will also thank our executive producers, Pancha Resendez of TennisBalls.com and Tal Woolley. Oh, and subscribe on iTunes. I didn't do this in order this time, but, you know, you guys know the drill by now. <laughs> <laughs> Courtney, rant raves, anything? Actually, you know what? I should go first. My rave will be for sleep. I miss <laughs> you. We're going to spend a lot of time together the next three months. It's going to be great. This is my last tournament of the year, I think, possibly. Maybe I might take a challenger wild card or something. Or maybe maybe if the appearance fee is good enough, I'm (laughs) being sarcastic, at like some European indoor tournament or something, I would show up. But uh, I think this is it for me. So the last time we see each other at a tournament this year, maybe we'll rendezvous in in, uh, Portland or something we've discussed. Oh, yeah, off season. Yeah, We should do that. But uh, meantime, yeah, sleep. You my boo. I'll see you soon. (laughs) Bay sleep. Um, yeah, my rave will be really, really random. But so at the hotel that I've been staying at, the U.S. Open, which we stay at every year, one of the things that is like kind of amazing about it, despite its weirdly overpriced menu, I don't understand it. But anyways, is the fact that the TVs are, um, you can like hook into Netflix, like you can just punch your Netflix account in there or Hulu or whatever, and just watch on the big screen of your TV, which is fantastic. So I had been watching like Parks and Rec and 30 Rock and The Office and whatever. In this last week, I've been watching The Animaniacs, which is a show that I loved when I was younger. And my sister, and it's a big bonding moment between my sister and I, like the Animaniacs and Tiny Toons double. Tiny Toons. Tiny Toons, amazing. I don't oh. know why Tiny Toons isn't available. Love. Tiny Toons, I feel like, I even knew back then, like this is weird. 
It was like they had that like Elmira with the girl yeah, with the yeah. skull. Yeah. Yeah. Strange. It's, it's super strange. Anyways, so the Animaniacs is available on Netflix. So I've been watching that when I come home from the tournament to like I'll watch like ninety minutes to two hours to like unwind. So four episodes. This show holds up, you guys. It is so funny. It is juvenile and stupid, but also like incredibly smart. Like Ben just came over and we watched like a little bit of like the Einstein episode and the E, e equals MC squared and Yakko's world and all that sort of stuff. Phenomenal. And it dawned on me when I was talking to Ben, I was like, it's animated 30 rock. Like the rhythms, the quick like jokes that are made like under people's breaths where yeah. you're like, wait, did you just, oh, Okay. And it's totally inappropriate for, like, what it was, which is, like, an animated cartoon for kids. Yeah, and it's so, like, it's an industry show is what I was saying. Totally it's like, it's industry. So, like, a show made by people in the industry for people in the industry yeah. who enjoy most yeah. of all. Yeah, and it's just, yeah. it's just awesome. There are so many episodes because, obviously, it was, like, a daily cartoon, so there was, like, 40 episodes per season. I've just – it's really made me happy throughout my entire two – you know, my, my, my stint here in New York. So I would recommend watching Animaniacs. If you've never watched Animaniacs and you don't know what I'm talking about, queue up episode two of the first volume called Yakko's World. And it's uh, one of the signature songs, which you're about to hear, and also this whole thing with Einstein, and it's great. It's pretty good. And with that, from our world to yours, bye, guys. Bye. That was my New York bye. I'm sorry. That was terrible. It was really bad. Do that again. That's not how people in New York say goodbye at all. Do New York people say goodbye? And they just sort of slam cab doors. Than that. Insert that sound effect, which I actually won't, but just <laughs> bye, guys. Yakko's World. Peace. Bye. Better. United States, Canada, Mexico, Panama, Haiti, Jamaica, Peru, Republic, Dominican, Cuba, Caribbean, Greenland, El Salvador, too, Puerto Rico, Colombia, Venezuela, Honduras, Guyana, and still, Guatemala, Bolivia, then Argentina, and Ecuador, Chile, Brazil, Costa Rica, Belize, Nicaragua, Bermuda, Bahamas, Tobago, San Juan, Paraguay, Uruguay, Suriname, and French Guiana, Barbados, and Guam. Norway and Sweden and Iceland and Finland and Germany now one peace. Switzerland, Austria, Czechoslovakia, Italy, Turkey and Greece. Poland, Romania, Scotland, Albania, Ireland, Russia, Oman. Bulgaria, Saudi Arabia, Hungary, Cyprus, Iraq and Iran. There's Syria, Lebanon, Israel, Jordan, both Yemen's Kuwait and Bahrain. The Netherlands, Luxembourg, Belgium and Portugal, France, England, Denmark and Spain. We'd like to welcome those of you who watch Stan Wawrinka defeat... Jovak Nokovic for the U.S. Open Championship today.